Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, welcome back to Was Business Australia's only live streaming business and investment channel. It is great to have your company. I'm David Kosh. It's just past midday Eastern Standard Time. And of course, that means it's time for another episode of The Call. 10 stocks, which you suggest to experts. And uh, we put you in the right direction in terms of analysing those stocks over the next 16 minutes or so. Without any further ado, let's bring in our illustrious panel of experts for today. Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. Thanks Michael, good to me. see you. Um, Adam Dawes from Shoreham Partners. Adam, good to see you. You're Skyping in from home and uh, geez, working from home really has its, um, has its risk, doesn't it? Um, you've been a bit laid up, dodgy ankle. I know, it's not good. I thought I was a soccer hero a couple of days ago when some of the restrictions were starting to be eased. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm at home now, which is fantastic. Technology's working for me. Okay, and your 10-year-old son, what's what's his name? Uh, Cooper. Okay, Cooper, well done on beating up dad at a uh, friendly game of soccer in the backyard. Today is... 10 stocks, a really diverse bunch of stocks. It's going to be fascinating. So let's kick it straight off. And uh, Adam, let's start with you, one of the uh, the retail icons of Australia, Harvey Norman. How do you see them? Yeah, look, it's an interesting one, isn't it, Harvey Norman? It's certainly one of those ones that um, has uh, an interesting past. And, and certainly Harvey Norman, uh, it, it's a good stock. However, I prefer JV Hi-Fi as uh, that, the leader in that sector. Harvey Norman's done quite well though. Harvey Norman's come out and said that they're gonna cut their interim dividend, which I think is, is right to do. They've also come out and said that executives pay uh, will also be cut by, I think it was around 20%. Um, so that again is, is something that I think is worthwhile uh, to be looking at. But really at the end of the day, um, I think retail is going to have a more of a W recovery if that makes sense. And for that W recovery, we're going to see some more downside. Consumer confidence numbers aren't great. And, uh, you know, more people, I guess, buying bread, milk and cheese and stocking up their pantry versus buying a new colour television. Yeah. Okay, Michael? Yeah, look, Harvey Norman was actually having a bit of a a recovery of sorts prior to the COVID-19. We had the housing market starting to pick Mm -hmm. up again after a tough year or two. Um, but the thing with Harvey Norman is it's a discretionary play primarily. Um, although there would have been a little bit of a boom or a bit of a boost as people worked from home as opposed to working from the office, they would have seen a pickup in some of their products. But that's fairly temporary uh, in our view. I think about 70 of their stores are shut down at the moment. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty unclear as to how the consumer is going to respond after all of this has passed. We're not really sure how many people are going to be unemployed. We're not really sure what the impact on wages is going to be and spending. So I think for Harvey Norman, it's going to be a long grind back. Um, and for that reason, 
we're pretty cautious right. on them at the moment. Um, they've obviously got the Amazon risk as well, although they had been combating that quite nicely. Uh, where they do differ potentially to say JB Hi-Fi is they own a lot more of their properties, a lot yeah. more assets. It's a, it's, a, it's a big property That's play, right. So that, that's another thing as well, because obviously they're the anchor tenant potentially <clears> in some of these regional and rural shopping centres. What's it going to be like um, once this is all passed? Will people be shopping mm. as often, spending as much on a basket of goods? Will they be holding off on upgrading their iPhone? Yeah. Those sorts of things, which I think is still very unclear at the moment as to the overall impact there. They, they could save on their rents. They could. <coughs> that, that's one aspect. Um, yeah. But look, their overseas business is doing quite well. I think places, they've got some pretty unique um, mm. countries. I think Slovenia or, or Slovakia yep. as Europe, well. Yep. That's right. And they've got Ireland, which has been good to them as well. Um, but there's, it's a bit of a dual play. It's a property play as well as a consumer yep. discretionary play. And I think both of those things yeah. could be a bit of a struggle. Like Adam, would you prefer JB Hi-Fi or um, just avoid the sector? I, I would avoid the, the sector overall. Right. Um, JB Hi-Fi has proven themselves over a long period of time. It's a very different business model. They're more of a discount player, JB Hi-Fi, in that they've got very small floor spaces. They don't run big warehouses. They keep a lot of their stock on the floor for a quick sort of turnover yep. um, of items. And that's proved very successful in a challenging environment for retail in general. Um, over the years. Um, so my preference probably would be for JB Hi-Fi just at the moment, but Harvey Norman um, and JB Hi-Fi in a tough space. Okay. Our second stock on the list of 10 that you sent through on the call each day. Um, let's uh, kick off with you on this one, Michael. Still in the retail uh, sector, but women's fashion, um, uh, city chic collective. Used to own KD's Rivers 90B, but then yeah. sold them, didn't they? In 2018. Yeah, that's right. So they've got a pretty streamlined business model these days compared to the past. Um, look, it's not one I'm that familiar with, to be frank. They do generate, I think, 65% of their global sales online. So that's probably a net positive uh, in this environment. They've got a niche uh, competitive advantage in some niche products in women's fashion. So the bigger person sales, that sort of thing. Um, the thing with, with um, City Chic as well is that they have come out to the market and suggested that they've got their supply chains in order. Um, so they've got a diversified supply chain network, which right. enables them to keep supplying goods uh, and products and keep selling things uh, online throughout this period. Look, again, it's a discretionary space. It's hard to see how it doesn't get impacted by a weaker consumer and weaker consumer sentiment. And for that reason, we'll steer clear of it. In fact, we'll probably steer clear of any fashion retailers, to be right. frank. Yeah, yeah. Um, Adam, fashion retailers haven't had a great run even before COVID, have they? Uh, with some, some really big names going into administration in the last sort of two years. Yeah, and I think you were talking about Kathmandu yesterday on the show yeah. as well. So that's a, a one that's probably one of the better ones in that sort of discretionary retail uh, area. But certainly City Sheet used to be specialty fashion group uh, before that. And you're right, they did sell all of those uh, assets to the Mosaic group, which used to be Noni B. So you've got to keep up with the name changes on these things uh, to, to understand what's going on. But really, um, City Sheet is an interesting business. Um, you know, as Michael said, the, the plus size side of things, I think, is, is a growing market. And certainly women uh, around the world, they've got around about 86 stores here in Australia, and they've got a couple of stores in the US, and they're trying to expand that, that footprint, which I think uh, is the right thing to do. Um, we, there was a note that came out from Morgan Stanley on this one a couple of days ago, and they basically said that they have balance sheet, and this is what we want in these kinds of environments, a good balance sheet. They have a balance sheet that basically 
could last up to two years on this uh, store closures and depressed sales. So for me, that gives me some more confidence that this one is okay. I like the idea as well. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of retail, as, as Michael said, um, but this one is a buy for me. I, I think yeah. it, it, these guys have got their stuff worked out. Balance sheet is good and it's got a, a niche market that is growing. So yeah, it's a buy for me. Uh, our third stock goes into the resources sector, uh, South 32. Of course, spun out of a BHP um, with a what bauxite, coal, bit of nickel. Yeah, every uh, thirty-two companies below the uh, southern equator is yep. South Thirty-two. So BHP got rid of all of its uh, um, yeah, um, or, or spun off a lot of its uh, excess or non-core assets. Uh, went into South Thirty-two. South 32 has been a really interesting one for me because our analyst, um, Peter O'Connor, has had a sell on South 32, but just changed his mind uh, about two months ago with uh, that. And obviously now he's more further, but he's, he moved to a buy about two months ago on this one. He had a sell on it for a long time. He said the price was too high and uh, didn't like uh, some of the assets in there. Um, however, now um, he, he's obviously with the price falling, he's very, very happy to start putting that one into portfolios. But we've always had this one as a portfolio stock due to the fact that everybody in most cases had BHP. So there was always this small residual holding of South 32 in a lot of clients' portfolios. We basically went through that and, and you know, uh, reduced those holdings. But now with our analyst blessing, we're going to start buying South 32 again. So South 32 is a buy from me, Koshi. Okay. All right. Michael? Um, our view on South 32 is, look, it's very cyclical. Our view on all resources, in fact, is, the, is that it's very cyclical and very difficult to predict the future with any certainty, given the reliance on the underlying commodity price of all these different commodities. Um, South 32 has got a good collection of pretty obscure commodities, manganese, alumina, uh, aluminium, these sorts of things. But they're all good quality assets and often they're in the lower sort of quartile of the cost curve. So they're, they're right. quite low cost of production. And um, the thing with S32 as well is they do have some growth um, profile. They are expanding various mines and looking into certain resources. So as a, as a miner, um, our preference is probably BHP, then South32 and then things like Rio. We like the fact that it's a diversified miner um, in that it reduces some of that volatility yeah. and smooths out some of those price movements that you get in various commodities. Um, so look, for us, you want to be sort of counter-cyclical if you're going to buy um, resources and we're at that point now where global economy is obviously slowing but yep. as a general rule we just find it very difficult to predict yep. these with any certainty. So you'd stick it between BHP but ahead of Rio, behind um, BHP ahead of Rio? Well the thing is, depends. Um, <laughs> <laughs> obviously uh, Rio's got a very um, big exposure to things like iron ore yep. so if you wanted some exposure to outside of iron ore which is obviously what Australia is quite well known for then S32 gives you a unique set of assets and exposures which you don't get from the others. Uh, so that's the attraction mm -hmm. there um, but for us it's a, a no-go because of that cyclicality factor with resources. Right, so no to South no, 32? No, SSC2, no really for Rio, no really for right. BHP as well. Um, Adam, how, how would you play South32 in terms of investment potential in that group with BHP and Rio? How would you prioritise them? Uh, yeah, so um, there's, there's a couple of ways to play it. Certainly South32 is one of those ones where it has uh, that diversified base. So um, I, I look at the Aussie dollar, and Aussie dollar lower, Aussie dollar is certainly beneficial. 
for um, uh, resource companies as a, as a whole. So that's something that I'd be, I'd be keen to uh, keep an eye on. Um, certainly South 32 is probably third for me, BHP being the most diversified one there. Uh, and, and as Michael said, you get that exposure to iron ore, but uh, you have some of the other commodities. I think that's around about 80% of its revenue for BHP is about iron ore, 95% of its revenue uh, for Rio, 95% mm. of its Rio is for iron ore, and Fortescue is 100%. But so for me, it would be BHP, Rio, and then South 32. South 32 would definitely sit for more of a higher risk style client for me. So BHP goes into most portfolios and then we sort of build it out depending on uh, on the amount of money and the risk profile. But Aussie dollar at the moment is low and will continue to be low. Uh, and I, I think that's a positive for all resource stocks going forward. Yeah. Um, just on that dollar, hard to believe that, well, only four weeks ago it was around 55, 56, and today is 65 US cents. Well, that, that, that's right. But I mean, it's bounced so rapidly, and people are actually talking about a weaker US dollar, just given the amount of stimulus right. that they've put into their system. So it's always impossible, from my oh, perspective, no. to pick the currency, and, and it's a tough, tough job. Smarter too, people than I give it too a Too hard, too hard, Basket, <laughs> that one for sure. Okay, uh, so mixed result on South 32. Uh, a yes from Adam, a no from Michael. Uh, our fourth stock, uh, building products and, and material supply, construction materials, uh, Boral. Adam, how do you rate Boral in this market? Yeah, in one word, I don't really like it. So I'm going to say no uh, to Boral. Most of the building uh, material guys have really struggled, uh, you know, and we thought potentially after the fires that we saw, we might see an, uh, a build up in construction. That certainly hasn't come through. And I know UBS the other day downgraded all of its building sector, Adelaide Brighton by about 22%, Borrow by about 12%, and I think CSR around the same amount. So hmm. they're, they're, they're feeling that also earnings are starting to be a little bit depressed on this one. Borrow's coming to a lot of flack from uh, buying their uh, cement fly ash business in the US. That was a massive, massive uh, acquisition. Uh, that has uh, obviously not worked as well as they'd like it to, to have. So there's some real problems inside Borrow, not from just from the local side, but from also from the US side. I'm not a fan. I've been moving Borrow out of clients' portfolios for the last couple of years. And look, it's been the right call. Mm. Michael? Um, I tend to agree, um, although Borrell does look very, very cheap. Um, looking at the chart there, you can even see how far it's, it's come back. Um, it, it does still generate decent cash flows, even uh, in the current environment, which enables it to sort of be within its covenants, debt covenants. So the balance sheet's in a good position or a decent position. However, you'd have to think that construction will get hit pretty hard, although you would think also things like key infrastructure projects in infrastructure, for instance, might actually get a bit of a boost out of this. The big concern, as Adam touched upon for us, is that acquisition they did in the US of Headwaters. They paid, I think, 10 times earnings for it. They had to raise a lot of money, took on a fair bit of debt to do that. And so far, that acquisition hasn't really delivered for them. Yeah. It made sense in theory at the time in that it did increase their margins significantly in the US business uh, to similar levels that they have in the Australian business, but so far just hasn't gone to plan. The fly ash business is a bit of a concern for them as well uh, in this current environment. So from our perspective, it's one maybe to have on the watch list that once we start to see the overall impact on the economy that this coronavirus mm. is having, uh, and once we start to see the economic data slowly pick up, construction activity pick up, then maybe it's one to pick because it is a very cyclical business. Yeah. And ideally you want to be trying to pick it at the bottom of the cycle, but I think right. it's still too soon. 
because we're not really sure what those broader impacts yeah. are going to be on construction. So, cycle's sort of working against it at that's the moment, right. but for an investor, you're saying the cycle well, could be working for you, that's right. but don't rush. That's right. There's no urgency, I think, to jump into something like this. You can you know, miss out on the first 10, 15, 20% of the rally, but it's better than to have that certainty and that insurance yep. to know that the cycle's actually turned. Um, before jumping in rather than trying to sort of pick a bottom at the moment, which is anyone's guess. Yeah, so um, lead indicators for people to watch out for uh, housing approvals. Yeah. Building approvals, building new approvals, home starts, uh, infrastructure spending from the governments, yeah. those sorts of things I think are yeah. key. Uh, infrastructure spending could really ramp up though, Adam, couldn't it? From you're starting, I saw some uh, accelerated plans from the New South Wales government announced today. Um, uh, probably happen in the United States as well. Government starting to to invest their way out of the out of the downturn. Uh, I look, you're right, Koshi. I think infrastructure is a great way to put money back into the the economy. So infrastructure build is very very important for governments and continuing that government spend that potentially could keep going on. Uh, and, and in America, uh, you know, certainly some, even uh, the airports need a, a huge makeover and, and certainly the governments will be looking to do that as well. Does Boral attract a lot of that infrastructure spend? Yeah, yes and no. Um, so yeah, I, traditionally Boral has always been sort of a conservative sort of, um, you know, housing uh, stock. Um, that infrastructure spend, I think they'll get some of it. But, you know, you probably look for more of the engineers, the downers of the world, right. those kinds of things. Those guys will pick up a lot of that work to start with. And then it will start to trickle down uh, through the, the building materials, guys. I just think Borrell's just um, had too many mistakes and it's not, uh, you know, the dividend isn't fantastic. And I just can't see this sector really moving in. Or what, what, what is the catalyst? What is the catalyst that will move this sector forward? And I'm really not too sure on how that's going to move for me. So it's still a sell. Okay. All right. Uh, let's go from building and uh, construction materials to good old gold producer. Um, Adam, what do you think of uh, Silver Lake Resources? Well, I don't know if Michael agrees with me. Maybe his uh, commodity view doesn't sort of uh, go this far. But um, basically gold, uh, is there's, there's really only real one key metric or maybe two key metrics that I look for when I look for a gold company. Uh, how much have they got in the ground and how much does it cost for them to get it out of the ground? And then how much, well, there you go, there's three. And then how much they can they sell it for? So we're at this, at this space at the moment where uh, we've seen some decent uh, production numbers. Their quarterly numbers came out quite good. Uh, they think, I think they did around about 48,000 ounces uh, of gold in the quarter. So that's actually quite good. But then also going forward, how much did they uh, did they get it out of the ground for? About 1,200. That sort of puts them in mid-range. You know, Newcrest is probably the best gold producer for low-cost producing. So uh, that that would be my number one pick. Would be Newcrest, uh, then Evolution, and from there, um, you know, uh, Saracen certainly sits. Uh, sorry, Silver Lake certainly sits at that lower end for me. So I'd, I'd say with quality. Um, most brokers have upgraded their price targets after the quarterly. So that is a positive and they've got price targets around sort of $2.10. The stock's currently sitting at 2 bucks, So I don't see too much uplift uh, mm. in, in, in the price at the moment. So it's a hold from me, preferring the larger companies being Newcrest, Evolution and even Northstar to a stretch at the moment. 
Okay. Share price has had a good run yeah. by it all, has it? <laughs> Absolutely. I tend to agree with Adam uh, here. Um, I'm sort of contradicting myself. Although we don't really invest in materials and resources, we do actually occasionally look at the gold space right. as a bit of a, a hedge of sorts. Um, and our preferences tend to be the likes of Evolution, Northern Star, um, Saracen. Silver Lake's a bit smaller uh, still, a little bit more speculative. They are starting to hit their straps when it comes to the production numbers. That's obviously starting to flow through to earnings as well. So there seems to be a, a quite a lot going right for this business at the moment. Obviously, the gold price is rallying, which is obviously mm. a major support factor. Um, and like Northern Star, like Evolution um, and like Saracen, what we kind of like about this business is the fact that its um, assets are in Australia. So when we invest in gold producers, we prefer those that invest in Australia because they incur their costs in Australian dollars and then they sell their gold in US dollars. So they get the double whammy of a yep. rising gold price and then a falling Australian dollar as well. So yeah, look, I mean, we're not averse to having some gold in the portfolio at the moment. Uh, Silver Lake isn't our preferred exposure because it tends to be a sort of medium high cost producer at the moment, but that can work in its favor because as the gold price increases, it's more leveraged to an increase in gold price. Right. So each dollar increase in the gold price, the marginal benefit to a higher cost producers more. Yeah. And obviously then it yeah. can work in the opposite direction if the gold price starts to fall. So it just depends on your risk profile really. But um, our preferred pick would be Evolution because of its low costs. Then yeah. Northern Star sort of sits in the middle, then Saracen slightly higher cost. Um, and that's where probably Silver Lake's around as well. And where, where do you put Newcrest? Newcrest um, hasn't really done well over the years um, because it's got a lot of different resources. It's hard to get all those resources working in the same direction. Yep. It purchased a, a gold company called Lahir Mines a number of yep. years ago and it's got this asset called Lahir, which they've really struggled to get going. So compared to the other gold producers in the mid-tier space, they've actually significantly underperformed consistently. And often simplicity, I think, with gold miners um, is ideal. You want fewer assets, higher grades, uh, long mine life, uh, fairly yeah. low controllable cost of production. That right. keeps it pretty simple. Um, the, where you start getting yourself into trouble with these gold miners is when you're looking to produce and expand assets um, and explore. And, and that's when I think you can start to burn through cash pretty quickly. Whereas in this environment, in the last sort of couple of years or so, the simplicity has really helped these companies generate good free cash flow, drive their costs lower as the gold price has been pushing higher. Right, okay. All right, that uh, gets us halfway, half time in, in the call for today. Five stocks down, five to go. Uh, just a recap, um, a no for Harvey Norman from uh, both the panel here. Adam uh, prefers JB Hi-Fi. Uh, no for um, City Chic or Chic City, uh, City Chic. Um, uh, a yes on South32 uh, from Adam, um, a no from Michael, no from both on Borel. Uh, maybe a hold for Silver Lake, but better options in Evolution, Northern Star, Saracen and Newcrest. So uh, let's go to the, the second five. And uh, Adam, kicking off with, with one of these sort of salary packaging software type groups, um, Smart Group. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one, and probably was a market darling, sort of it's coming into the sort of the end or the back end of 2019. I don't know if you got the chart there, but you, it has certainly moved higher. But over well, October 2019, it's really started to to fall away. Um, there's been a couple of things that management have tried to do to get that business up and running or to get that back up and running, and one was a buyback to try and sort of sort of shore up 
some of uh, the shares. But basically, they've been having a fair bit of selling from some of, or change of substantial shareholdings from some of the large institutional funds management businesses around, which have started to be lightning on this one. The business obviously provides outsourced administration, primarily salary packing, packaging and a software does uh, administration and fleet management or vehicle services as well. So look, this is quite high risk, this one. So it's something that I probably wouldn't be uh, advising clients to go into. Um, you know, what was that one, Koshy McMillan uh, yep. Shakespeare uh, yep. back in the day, um, you know, got absolutely belted just because the government decided to change some rules on salary packaging. This is one of the risks that you'll get for these businesses is that the government or another kind of um, organisation might change their view on the way things are, are dealt with on a tax situation. So for me, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a it don't go near, it's a sell. Uh, and I've, I certainly think there's value, better value out there elsewhere. Okay. Yeah, it's not one that we've ever invested in. It's probably one of the best IPOs in the last decade though. Um, it came in, its main uh, client base are state government and federal government employees, which oh. tends to mean a lot of their customers are fairly sticky. Yep. Um, obviously, the, the the government employees haven't been hit as hard from this coronavirus as other sectors, but ultimately it relies on business activity uh, for their growth. And at the moment, obviously, we're going through a hit to broader activity in general. Um, the fleet management business is actually very much aligned to new car sales, and we've seen new car sales in decline for the last 12 to 18 months in this country, even prior to the, the COVID-19. So that was already weighing a little bit on the business and that's obviously gonna take a really big hit in this environment. And then obviously Adam touched on a very good point that it's a bit of a moving feast or can be a bit of a moving feast when it comes to tax reform. Um, and I recall under the Gillard government and the Rudd government, they actually looked at wiping out some of the way that this salary packaging was recognized right. from a tax perspective. and that took the wind out of this sector for a very long time, or at least it did for the incumbent, which was Macmillan Shakespeare. So for now, we'll be steering clear um, and probably yeah. forever steering clear. Uh, one positive, I suppose, just doing a little bit of reading beforehand was that management, and I think four of the directors have stepped up to the plate and bought shares recently. That can sometimes be a leading indicator uh, for some sign of confidence in, from management in the company. Yep. And you, Adam, you've, you'd have to anticipate that with uh, the way the budget is going to be looking over the next year or two, that more tax reform could be in the wind and big tax reform. So that's, as Michael was saying, that's a, a risk filter. You're going to have to go forward with stocks like this. Uh, absolutely. And you really should, when you're looking at any kind of stock, uh, have that in the back of your mind. Obviously, geopolitical risk where, where and Michael picked it out really nicely that, you know, they're about that gold mine that they're investing in Australia or they're operating in Australia. So geopolitical is one that you need to be very mindful of. And then obviously the government, with a stroke of a pen, let's just talk about um, the home care or aged care businesses that are out there. With a stroke of a pen, they can ruin a business pretty quickly uh, within a budget. Um, so, yeah, it's something that you've got to be really aware of going forward. Yep, too right. All right, uh, so a no from both of our experts on Smart Group. Our seventh stock, another retail stock, but this time uh, sort of we're, we're going from women's fashion to, uh, to cars, outdoor um, and sport. Uh, Super Retail owns Super Cheap Auto uh, in the outdoor space. Um, what is it? Uh, boating, camping and fishing, BCF. <laughs> which I love walking around BCF, uh, and Rebel Sport as well. My sort of retailers, Adam, are they a good investment? 
Oh, uh, look, I mean, I don't know what it is with everybody today on retail. I mean, it's uh, maybe they're, they're inquisitive because some of those consumer numbers or those consumer retail numbers were absolutely shocking. Maybe we've got some uh, viewers that are looking for some bottom bargains here. And look, I think this one was a bargain probably three weeks ago. This one has rallied about 47% or something like that in, in the last month. So it's had a really good recovery and probably shows you uh, their diversification or their diversity in, in their businesses being, as you say, BCF and Rebel or those kinds of things and auto parts. I mean, this is that's a fantastic uh, business that uh, should last the test of time. And again, it's all about balance sheet for me. This one definitely has a balance sheet. And another note came out from UBS talking about this one saying that they could last not up to two years, but at least last up to six to eight months with this coronavirus and with store closures. So again, mm. balance sheet is really, really important, everybody. Balance sheet is important because you've got to have the cash to be able to then run. And if you're running on debt or running on fumes, then a lot of these businesses will fall to the wayside in this kind of market. But for me, um, I, I think it's, uh, it's probably a hold here, Koshi. I think yep. it, it, your buy window was, it was a couple of weeks ago when the stock really rallied and, and that's probably when you should have uh, uh, jumped in. So it's a hold from me, but certainly on any price weakness. And if we do have that W recovery in the retail side of things, you might get another chance at this one. Okay, uh, Michael. Um, look, it's not one we've ever looked at. We're unlikely to look at it. Again, it's in a very challenging space. I'm trying to be a little bit more optimistic today and find something that's a, a buy, but uh, unfortunately, no for this one as well. Um, the automotive space, again, is already under a little bit of stress um, in general. Um, the fact is super cheap auto stores do actually sit outside of shopping centres, which might sort of shield them a little bit from the blow. Uh, Rebel, you might have seen a little bit of pickup in gym equipment, etc. Mm. people buying that for their, mm. their homes to get through this period. However, obviously sports dropped off a cliff completely, so that's fairly temporary. Um, the outdoor space, sort of that boating, camping, fishing, Look, the fact that we can't travel overseas might be a net positive in yeah. the short term and that people might start to travel um, domestically and do things like camping and whatnot. But again, that's a pretty long bow to draw. And not only UBS, but Goldman Sachs have come out and suggested that the, the cash position of this company is in a very strong position. And that's probably what's driving the recovery that we've seen is a number of these investment banks doing a bit of a cash flow analysis or a cash burn analysis and trying to work out how long this company can get yeah, through. Okay. And the fact that this business has been pretty conservatively run, I think it's found a lead still um, just mm -hmm. from, from sort of memory. And it means often that these businesses are sort of positioned to cope with these cycles a little bit yeah. better potentially. So it's going to come others. out the other side. So it'll come out the other side. Whether it's going to grow and rally and be yeah. the great investment that everyone wants it to be is another question. And given there's been so many businesses across so many sectors that have fallen a long way, there's often equally as good, if not much better, companies available at equally right. discounted prices. Okay. That's our view. A fine business in the retail space, but again, it's difficult yep. to get excited about retail in this environment. Even before coronavirus hit, the retail space was doing it very, very tough. We had high household indebtedness, we had low wage growth, all those sorts of things continued to weigh on retail since basically the GFC. I can't see that improving anytime soon because of the coronavirus. Yeah, and Adam, sort of when I was looking into it, reminded me a bit of ARB. Um, the, the, uh, if you want to pimp your four-wheel drive, ARB's sort of cornered that market. You know, founder-led, conservative, knows its market, has its niche. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and certainly super cheap auto 
um, you know, it's the more weekend warriors than you um, than you sort of four wheel drive specialist yeah. there. But certainly, uh, yeah, you know, if you need to get some new windscreen wipers or you need to change your oil or something, it's totally foreign to me. But uh, there are a lot of people that love that kind of stuff, and I, I really like the rebel side of things. I, I agree with Michael there that that home gym side of things would have definitely picked up, or, or some side of that would have picked up. But you know, this one is probably right for the recovery when it does come out. Um, you know, all the kids are going to need new soccer boots or, uh, you know, all of those kinds of things. And Rebel is yeah. well-placed inside a lot of malls and has a very good name as well. So I think they've, you know, with BCF, they've got this really nice division of, uh, of outdoor specialists. And uh, as I said, any kind of weakness, I, I would pick this thing up again. Yeah, look for a pullback. I'll just throw one name into the ring that we quite like in this sort of retail space if you like and that's a company called BAPCOR um, stock code oh, yeah. BAP yeah it's got a retail aspect to it such as Autobahn uh, such as Bursons but that only makes up 25% of the business they get 75% of their revenue from the aftermarkets car parts business so if you think about it when you take your car to the mechanic yep. you might have a certain brand of car that needs a certain part that mechanic obviously doesn't have it on site but through a platform he can then order that part mm. in to be delivered within sort of a couple of days so that he can fix your car. And through their distribution network and their channels, they've got a pretty big monopoly in that space. So if you think about it, if people aren't spending too much on new cars, they're holding on to their old cars a bit longer, yeah. um, servicing them, etc. then BAPCOR is a company that's pretty conservatively run, doesn't trade on very high multiples. It's in a pretty good position in our belief mm. to weather this storm better than most. Okay, that's an interesting one. It's come up uh, with me before I've got a son-in-law that works in the used oh, car really, yeah. car world and they're going gangbusters yeah really it's <laughs> at the moment it? so it's a good indication of where the economy is all right so uh, super retail a hold from Adam and um, uh, and for Michael uh, maybe Batcorp is a better alternative there um, our eight stock today um, a, a tech company in financial software iris um, Across Asia, North America, Africa, Europe, I suppose it's a, uh, Adam, a, um, a local baby version of Bloomberg terminals, if you like, for professional traders. Would be a, is that a good yeah. way of describing it? Yeah, it's not a bad way. I mean, certainly Bloomberg terminals uh, that we, the guys have in the office, uh, they pay a, a large, very large sum to have that on a monthly basis. Iris obviously is uh, a, a little bit cheaper and has a little bit less information, but it's basically the tool that we use uh, every day, Iris, for our trading systems, and that's our direct-to-market uh, transaction platform. So, um, yes, that financial side of it is is huge, and it's not just the stockbrokers that use it. It's also a lot of financial planners uh, use it as well. So they've got that back-end admin system uh, really worked out here for Australia. They've had to move overseas, as you rightly pointed out, Koshi, due to the fact that, that they, they see in Australia as a mature market. And that mature market is basically they're not getting as much growth out of here in Australia because they're pretty much dominant uh, across the board in most financial planners uh, as well as uh, some stockbrokers. So they just went out the other day and bought uh, ONM, which is a pension services business in the UK. And they've been focusing on the UK now for a little while. 
that certainly has done them, or ha that has done well for them going forward. Um, however, I'm a little bit sceptical uh, on, on, you know, and we've seen many Aussie companies going overseas and come back with their tails between their legs. So, you know, you need to be a little bit careful of that sort of expansion that they need to do. But certainly Andrew Walsh, uh, he is very, very good CEO of, of this business and uh, we use it every day. So. The COVID-19, is that going to affect their business? Well, um, most financial planners, most stockbrokers are still operating on a day-to-day -day basis, so they still will be needing that technology to move forward. So, look, I, I think there's there's a, there's a buying opportunity in this one um, due to the fact that they won't see much of a downtick in revenue. Um, so, yeah, everyone's still using the system, so they'll still be paying their monthly licensing fees. So, look, this one's been hit pretty hard with uh, the rest of the market. Um, but I think it's a buy. Mm. Michael? Um, look, there are definitely things to like about this business. It's an Australian success story in the tech space, uh, mm. really. But the question is, how does, where does it go from here? 90% um, of its earnings are recurring in nature, which is definitely uh, attractive. Um, I think about 70, 80% of their earnings still come from Australia, however. And, but they should weather this storm pretty well. Uh, they're not really exposed to fund manager performance or anything like that. Mm. They'll essentially get their fees regardless of how many of these advisors, platforms, etc., perform. Um, the big concern for us with Iris is that their cash positions deteriorated over the last decade and their margins have come down. And that's probably a symptom of the fact that they've been acquiring all these businesses to try and generate some growth. But with the acquisition drive comes risk. So moving into the UK, then now I've got exposure to things like UK mortgages, etc. Yeah. Is that really what Iris does best? And in our view, probably not. It's a decent, stable business um, in terms of that recurring revenue. But when looking at the tech space overall, I think there are far more exciting names with far bigger growth profiles than Iris. Right. Nothing necessarily against <clears throat> Iris or anything yeah. like that. It's just that there are better options in our view out there. Okay. And... Uh, uh, part of its growth into the future could be the uh, the new streaming service they have well, that's on the platform it. to <laughs> hello to uh, all the Iris users watching us, that. watching Ausbiz. So that's a very good marketing step forward for Iris, I think. Um, give, give us an alternative stock then. Um, in, in the tech, tech space? Would you go technology one or something like um, that? No, I'll put a new one on the table again. A, a small, small business that's emerging quite nicely is um, a company called Elmo. Um, they're involved in payroll software. Um, basically, if you think about Xero, uh, for instance, you pay your monthly uh, service fee or your monthly subscriber fee, and then you, they do all your accounting or you can do your accounting through that platform. Right. Elmo's a similar sort of platform, but for the payroll space where they've got mm. 12 or 13 different modules. You don't have to use all the different modules, but you can do your rostering, you can do your oh, payroll, a number of different things as well. And Basically, they're the market leader in that space. You think about the size of the market. The, it basically, the entire business community is a potential client of theirs. They've got very high margins, high customer retention rate, um, low customer churn. The dollar spend for each remaining customer is very high. So, look, it's pretty small still at around mm. 600 mil, 700 mil market cap. But we feel it's one of these software as a service business models right. that's very attractive from a long-term perspective. Because you've got to remember that Every new subscriber that comes on might only pay $15 this month, but that value is not really reflected on the balance sheet right. in terms of traditional metrics. For, but yep. the reality is that customer is going to stay almost indefinitely, and yep. often they're going to stay for a long period of time and pay higher prices as time goes on. And right. what Zero is another one that we've been uh, right. in and, and quite like still as well. Okay. 
Uh, we covered zero the other week, I think. Um, Howard uh, Coatlin from uh, oh, Howard. Yeah, yeah. Team Invest. Yeah. Uh, didn't like it because it's never made a profit. Well, the reality is, it, <laughs> look, that's true to an extent, but they, they sacrifice their earnings today for growth into the future. Right. So they okay. generate enormous amount of revenue. If they just focus on Australia and New Zealand, that was it. They could be extremely profitable. Yeah. But they use every dollar of revenue generated to expand into bigger markets, such as the UK, where they're now the dominant player, and even into the US, where they'll never yeah. be the dominant player, but they've started to get Got a, a good, sizable market, good share. market share. So yep. look at things. I think with those sorts of companies, it's wrong just to look at the, the earnings. Yep. You've got to look at the cash flow generation, what they're doing with each new dollar uh, new yep. dollar revenue generated. Fair point. Fair point. All right. <clears throat> Let's go from uh, Iris to what was once the absolute tech darling of uh, the Australian share market, freelancer, um, like a crowdsourcing uh, platform matching employers with freelance workers. Um, Adam, um, it was a superstar when it first uh, floated, was it? Yeah, it floated, uh, I think it was around 50 cents. Yep. Uh, it floated, did actually get up to $2.60, the high yep. uh, for this stock, and now currently 39 cents. So sometimes the mighty can fall very, very quickly. Uh, for this one, I think, uh, it, it's, I wouldn't go near it, um, it, it is my, first of all, so it, it, it would be a sell for me and in fact I wouldn't, wouldn't touch it. I mean, the numbers are quite staggering on what they've actually got. I think they can connect, they, they've connected up to 40 million employers or businesses wow. around the world you can source off. Um, so, you know, a, a, an amazing platform, and we're talking about platforms and technology platforms, this is an amazing platform that has uh, a huge amount of eyeballs or the ability to do that. But we have seen a lot of these other entrants coming into the market and sort of taking that market share. And you know you can't take 100% market share forever. Uh, so yeah, absolutely, uh, Freelancer has done well over the past, but it's something that I just don't think uh, you would be investing in uh, straight away. They, look, certainly where the low is, it certainly has picked up a little bit. But uh, for me, it's it's a sell and don't go anywhere near this one, Goshi. Mm. Michael? Um, it's not one that we invest in. Obviously, you catch snippets of, of media um, about it here and there because of how well it did initially. Um, it's not doing disastrously poorly by any means. It's just probably not growing at the rates that people want from it yep. um, at the moment. It's hard to sustain that huge, enormous growth that they had very, very early on. And um, a build-up, big expectations. That's right. Build Matt Barry was... It was, well, it was well marketed, well publicised, um, awareness was out there and you kind of need that with a business like this to, so yeah. that people are out there using it. Um, but you would think in this environment that sort of freelancing could kind of work, working from home, people obviously out of the job in, in their key industry might sort of look for work uh, on the side elsewhere. They've also got another product called Escrow which is basically a, a platform for create marketplaces for different niche goods. So for instance, oh. IP addresses, it's got the biggest market share in terms of the transacting different IP and website addresses, right. for instance. Okay. It's also got a pretty big position in the second-hand car market in terms of facilitating these transactions and creating a, a marketplace. So it's not just the freelancing part of the business that they operate in. But for us, I just, again, it's very difficult to get excited about it when there are other alternatives right. out there. Um, okay. So. Look, they reported four days ago. Um, the numbers seemed okay on the face of it, but I'm just not sure that it's 
growing at a quick enough rate to meet yeah. expectations and it's probably not going to turn profitable early enough for many people's and, expectations. And, and if you look at the charts in terms of share yeah. price, it sort of almost reflects a lack of confidence in, you know, it hasn't had much of a bounce That's coming right. back at all. It's bubbling almost along the bottom there. And it's fading away before, well before the coronavirus even hit. And it's probably because they're not delivering the sorts of new subscriber numbers, new user numbers that the market yeah. needs to see from these companies. Because for many of Adam, these sorts of stocks have got to have an ongoing, continuing story, don't they? Sort of, um, uh, Michael mentioned zero before, you know, investing yeah. in the business, growing elsewhere, keep the momentum going. Uh, to keep the confidence of the market. Agreed. Keeping uh, uh, the market informed is a really big thing that a lot of companies do fail to do by putting out uh, news press releases or, or, or market releases, you know, once every couple of weeks just to try and sort of keep the, the news flow moving and keeping everybody understanding of what's going on in the business is, is crucial. Um, zero, and in fact, I'm just sort of uh, going back to Howard's comments that never made a profit. Um, next half, that's, they're, 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 um, they will make a profit, next half. So um, he's right, never made a profit, but they are slated to turn the dial a little bit uh, to, and it's not a huge profit, but certainly something. And I think with most tech businesses also, you need to be very mindful of um, that platform and it needs to be updated regularly. So that they, they have to keep you know talking and, and, and basically keep keeping the market uh, aware of what's going on. This one was a market darling, as we said, it's fallen away. I don't see, uh, um, it's interesting that people want to learn about or understand about these things because I can't see a catalyst for this thing to pop unless they buy another business and that's and then that's fraught with danger because of earnings and, and integration. But I can't see any reason why this thing would pop to, to a larger degree. So um, sometimes these, thing come, or these come on with a lot of fanfare but then basically die and then sort of sit in the back seat and really don't get any more attention, yeah. you know, going forward. Yeah. All right, our, uh, so I know for freelancer from uh, both our experts, from both Adam and Michael, our final stock of the uh, 10 on the call today, EML Payments. Um, Adam offers sort of a, it's a payment solution technology, isn't it? So reloadable cards, gift cards, virtual accounts. Yeah, it is. And, I reckon Michael might agree with me on this one. I'm not too sure. I like this business. I think it's I think it's a good business. Um, they've got some fantastic contracts, and I think even yesterday you had EML's CEO on the show uh, yep. having a chat uh, um, uh, to I think it was Nadine. So um, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one uh, for me. I really like this business. They've just completed a little acquisition uh, of uh, a company called PFS. I think that's moving in the right direction. Look, they're, they're certainly uh, doing quite well. Um, gift cards are huge uh, around that sort of Christmas and birthday time and those kinds of things. I think that's a it's a fantastic business going forward. Um, and those prepaid distribution cards, they, they last for 12 months, two years. So, um, you know, there's there's always a fee that EML will receive going forward. This one's a buy for me. It is high risk or higher risk than potentially a lot of the other ones that we've spoken about today. But it does have revenue coming in the door. It does have earnings. And I don't see those earnings moving uh, anytime soon. So I'm a, I'm a fan of EML and it's a buy. Okay.
Michael? Yeah, Adam's spot on. It's one that we are starting to look at for the first time, only because mm. we sort of watched it with envy, really, for the last couple of years. <laughs> um, it started to get a bit of traction, started to get a bit of a profile, but then the share price just charged high, as you could see from that chart. But it's come back to the field uh, with a thud recently, giving us a chance to look at something like this for the first time. So basically, involved in reloadable cards for like betting, sports betting agencies, for instance, right. gift cards as well, just your old-fashioned Maya card or something along those lines. But it's also got a business-to-business -business, um, transaction facilitation in a sort of encrypted, uh, low-risk way. And they've managed to sort of build that part of the business up as well. But when you look at each of those three elements to their company, it's hard to get that excited about it at the moment, given the current environment. Will people be going out and buying gift cards as much as they were or putting as much in those gift cards as they did in the past? Probably not. Are they going to be loading up their sports betting account by as much? Probably not. Will businesses be doing as many transactions yep. between each other? Again, probably not. But nevertheless, it's definitely got a good quality business in place. They've got some good contracts in place, which should help them get some ongoing revenue. They are growing through expansion as well. But the pleasing part is we like when companies are expanding, that's great. But we want to see that the businesses that they've still got, whether they're continuing to grow. And with EML, they are. 70% of their growth is still coming from their existing original businesses, not mm. just acquiring businesses to boost their revenue growth. So it's definitely one that's come back to the field that we can now look at uh, with okay. a lot more interest. So for us, it's a hold at the moment based on the fact that we're unsure where the markets are going to just charge from here, whether there's going to be a bit of period of consolidation. Right. But EML is definitely a tech business that we think is yeah. definitely worth looking into. But it has had the big pullback. Had and the big, and, huge pullback. Yeah, and as we saw from the chart, not a massive rebound That's off right. the bottom, so it's... That's right, so there still could be some decent value there, right. uh, and it's got a business model in place, generating good revenue, um, and it's moving in the right direction in terms of balance sheet-wise. Okay, all right, so hold for you, uh, uh, a buy for, uh, for Adam there. Uh, that brings us to uh, the end of our 10 stocks. Let's just give you a bit of a recap um, for the last five. Uh, Smart Group, uh, a no, um, super retail, a hold from Adam, uh, for Michael, he likes an alternative backcourt, uh, for Iris, the, um, the financial platform business, um, a yes from uh, Adam, Ilmo might be an alternative from Michael, definitely no for freelancer from both the experts, EML uh, payment system, a yes from, uh, from Adam, and a hold from Michael. So um, some Really good stocks, a good mixture of stocks to get through too, both large and small. Um, Michael, appreciate your time. Thank you very uh, today. much. Today, that was fabulous. Michael Wayne from Medadian uh, Partners and Adam Dawes from Shoreham Partners. Mate, uh, appreciate your time. Uh, elevate that ankle, you know, <laughs> what they say, ice and, uh, and rest ice. is the thing to do. Osby is Australia's only live streaming service covering Australian business and market news.